Oh, man. Uh, you know, they're talking about this clown, and he is a clown. Uh, this Republican who lied about being same-sex attracted and, and lied about everything, and the Federal District of New York is going after him for lying, and now he's in Congress. But listen here to the figurehead. Listen to this the guy. stock market, the last guy's measure of everything, is about 20% higher than it was when my predecessor was there. It has hit record after record after record on my watch. It's had its worst year since 2008. Just just so we're all clear on that. And by the way, they're doing something to the figurehead's face. I mean, have you noticed how far back they pulled his skin? He's um, It's gross. And they're also photoshopping pictures from the White House. Have you seen this to make him look younger? There is no doubt. They're doing everything they can to fill in his face, make him look younger and more vital. And of course, they're going to do this in an era of lies. But this isn't even lies. This is just something really pathetic. This is Jerome Powell, and he's being questioned by Senator Shelby. We know you have a lot of great gifted economists at the Federal Reserve that furnish you data on every trend on prices and prices that would tend dealing with inflation, price stability in the world. And how it affects us here, everybody. The Fed obviously missed the the trends there. Was it a question of not having the right data? Or was it a question of ignoring the data you had? Because a lot of private, uh, I wouldn't say all, but a lot of private economists predicted where we're going on this inflation. And they were spot on two years ago. Uh, was it a question of, again, you didn't have the data, which you should have, or you, you misjudged the data or ignored the data? No, no, it's, it was not about data at all. Well, this, this is really what it was about. Uh-huh. When, when it, inflation really just about barely a year ago, in March of last mm. year, started to move up quickly, central banks and macroeconomists really overwhelmingly looked at that as like a supply shock, like an oil shock. And what the textbook says is, the shock's going to come and it's going to go, and and you shouldn't react to it. It'll and and so that's we we looked at it that way, and I would say f- f- by, by the middle of last year, um, uh, we started to move away from it, and we we moved away from it at an increasing rate of speed. Hindsight says we should have moved earlier. Yeah, but how did Zach know? Well, and I have no sophistication, nowhere near the sophistication that Jack Zach does. If I have any, if I, how did I know? How did I know watching all these ships offshore that could not dock and therefore deliver their goods? How did I know? How did you know? How is it that I heard the World Economic Forum say you're going to have a long, cold, a long, dark winter in Europe and they're having a long, dark winter? How did I know that? How did I know that when you fire key portions of workforces like in healthcare and 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 in airplanes and flight, you end up with these squeezes? How did we know that? You know, we talk so often on the show about the brilliance of stupidity. I, I think that's the, the, the stupidity of brilliance to turn the phrase around. In case you haven't guessed by now, Zach Abrahams from Bulwark Capital Management is going to help us get this all figured out. The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America... Here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. Not a big fan of Henry Ford, but I'm a fan of something he did when his kid sued him, tried to uh, take his company away from him. He was in court, and his kid had said, my dad can't read. He's, a, he's basically a moron. And the attorney for his kid asked him, who are the first five presidents of the United States? And Henry Ford said, sir, I don't know. I don't know. But I tell you something. I got people who work for me who don't just know that. They know what shoe size they wore and what was their favorite bourbon. I hire smart. I hired that stuff done. Well, I don't hire, but I'm blessed to have a friendship with a guy who gets this financial stuff better than I do ever want to, frankly. And welcome back, my brother. You looks like you're still up in the ski uh, chalet. Isn't that what you rich people call it? The ski chalet? 
Well, they may call it that. Uh, I call it a cabbage liellum. Um, <clears throat> no, actually, so funny story. I'm actually working from home today. Okay. Because yeah, well, because the night before we're going to leave the cabin, my littlest kid starts complaining of being hot and all this kind of stuff. He starts getting sick on the drive home. Less than 24 hours later, all five people in the house are coughing. So we had uh, we had the post Christmas trip flu and. Uh, it's not horrible, but, you know, just every hour last night, waking up sore, coughing, it's just, it's it's not fun, especially when you got three kids that are going through the same thing at the same time. Oh, my goodness. I know. I, I, I remember the first time uh, my daughter ever threw up, and she didn't throw up until she was like uh, six years old. She Ever. <laughs> all of a sudden she and man she was good at it for someone who'd never done it i mean she got some distance and some power and later she said how did that happen what was that because she was old enough to talk about it you can do that food can come out like that yeah no man it will, so and that's if you if you hear extra raspiness in my voice it's not because i picked up a marlboro light habit yeah. over the holiday uh, yeah, just still trying to kick this thing, man. Yeah, I go with the camel on filters because I listen to, I don't smoke and I don't want to, I listen, if you smoke and I don't want to, I'm not here to judge. I, uh, discernment is one thing. I wish you wouldn't smoke, but you know, John Mellencamp, um, I, I love his music. I know he's a big time lib. Um, do you know that to this day he sucks down a camel unfilter, just one big draw before he goes on stage? This is a guy who's had like five heart attacks. And well, they, they- and, and and he did this on Letterman, and Letterman called him out. And, did I just see you? Yeah, yeah, it's a bad habit. So he'd have these five heart attacks, and then I know he'd been. Like he said he'd been jogging and trying to stay in, in good health. And this was seven or eight years ago. We saw him uh, in Seattle at where they do the orchestras. Now I can't even remember the name of that place, but you know the, the classical music. It was a beautiful, beautiful show, incredible show. June Carter, June Carter Cash opened it for him, and yep, there he is in the corner of the stage. There's and we're looking. Oh, there it is. There's the Camelton filter. You, you see the light of the cigarette and it always comes out uh, with his version of I fought the law and the law one, not, not, not the cover song, but uh, the, the, it's called the authority song. Um, I fought authority, authority always wins. So yeah, he still does that. Well, that was, that was like the stories you were telling me about the old days in radio, like how mm-hmm. they actually believed you needed to suck down some, you need to suck down some smokes. Oh, they right? would tell you, melody your yeah. voice. Yeah it's, yeah, it's me, the rhino, uh, 15 past midnight, ducks out of the moon from the flip side. Right. So that, that's I, I came up around all that, man. So speaking oh, of uh, speaking of voices, um, I played at the top of the show a little bit of this Jerome Powell being questioned. And so Richard Shelby, Senator Shelby's questioning him. And, and it's reminded me so much of our conversations. He says, um. He says, so there's a bunch of really smart econ- economists at the Federal Reserve, and yet you guys got this all wrong, but the private people in the private markets got this all right. Was it the lack of data? Did you not have the data? Uh, or, or what was that? And effectively, what Powell said, as you heard in the clip, is, well, we just did what we always do, despite what the data says. I yeah. mean, yeah. On, on, did I hear that the wrong way? No, and this is... I think you and I have talked about this before. This is why, oh man, and we, I mean, shoot, we could do like weeks of uh, content just on this alone. This is why this whole central bank situation is so hard because the flip side of it is if you don't have a book to go by, right. uh, Then what you're going to get is you're going to get a little, you know, all of these uh, ad hoc one-off type measures that we've actually seen in the past. So if you go back and look at the history of the 20s and the 30s, you'll see a lot of these kind of, I, I, I guess you maybe you'd say like anecdotal type central bank activities where, you know, going into the Great Depression, they were concerned about inflation as crazy as that sounds now. Yeah. Um, the flip side is what you've got now, which is an FOMC, a Federal Open Markets Committee, which is the Fed, and we're talking about the Fed, uh, and, and what you've got, it's completely dominated by academia. So these guys are operating straight out of textbooks. And as any practitioner knows, the textbook is a good job of like laying out the guidelines, right? But all of the substance happens in on the court. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what hap- what in there what inevitably happens with this modern um, 
this modern form of a central bank is that usually they're always way behind. So they tighten monetary policy way too late. And I think we're seeing that now. I think we, I think that's, we've seen that play out in the last two years. And then when they go to tighten, they tighten way too fast because they're behind the curve. And this is what we had been saying. And, and I'm, I am not even close to the only one saying this, but these were arguments we were making for, you know, eight, 10 years prior to this saying, Hey, you need to get off the zero bound. And then when Biden came into office, you know, we thought they'd overdone it. Um, you know, <laughs> well, anytime you see an economy shut down like that and you see wages rising at the same time. Yeah. Um, and then when you add on to it where we were at prior to the crisis, meaning coming off of 10 years of underinvestment in commodities and energy and all those other kind of things, you just had a perfect wave. And if you were looking at the textbook scenarios and not talking to practitioners, not looking at energy policy, not looking at lumber policy, um, you, you would have known that this was going to cause serious issues. And, and this is just a classic case. And, and unfortunately, I think that what we're going to remember more over the next two years is rather than everybody being focused on the fact that they did too much, yeah. which they clearly did, I think everybody's going to start focusing on the fact that they tightened too much. Um, because, it, I mean, it's it's like, I, like I've said before, I, I find it almost comical that we're still having debates whether there's going to be a recession. Oh, I know. And and you may have seen this. Uh, the Federal Reserve has now said there might be a recession. It's it's possible. So they've actually yielded to the fact that we're in one. It's I think it's you know, that's a that's a bold move when you're in a thing. Admit that the thing might happen. That's bold, bold thinking and bold leadership. I'll continue to talk with Zach Abraham, Board Capital Management. Oh, you know, I've been on the on the fat loss journey myself. I told you that. You know what I found out, Zach? This isn't the first time I found that out either. You know that doing pull-ups when you're lighter is easier? <laughs> Amazingly so. Yeah. Amazingly yeah. so. Yeah. So I've been, you know, guys, I've been working on my own fat loss journey. And, and I've, I've confessed to you it's a little bit of insanity. I'm going to try to get down to 8% body fat. And my CrossFit coach, she told me, it's too light for you, too big bone. You're not going to like it. You're going to be good at 10, maybe 11%. Uh, but I lost about uh, five pounds in 10 days. And I'm weighing in tomorrow or, f- yeah, no, I'm going to weigh in tomorrow and see where I'm at. Uh, but I went to the pull-up bar. And I've been working on my pull-ups because I had the shoulder surgery. I went to the pull-up bar. I could not believe how easy, how easy um, pull-ups were. And then I did my one rep max. I was at 44 pounds. Now I did a one rep max 53 pound pull up, which is not a bad pull up. I mean, and that's just a, that's a strict pull up. My kipping's coming back. Now, all of this is just nonsense Greek to people who don't do uh, gym stuff. So let me make, make, make an analogy. Shoveling snow. If you're in a place where you got to shovel snow and you're carrying 150 pounds of fat on your body, you're not just shoveling the snow, you're shoveling your gut and walking up and down stairs or going hiking or going shopping. Any of that stuff, getting it out of your car, right? I'm talking about pull-ups. Well, wait till we get to the box jump stuff. Now, that's my world. You may not box jump, and that's fine. And it's not about being a gym rat. And so do weight loss has nothing to do with working out. Let me repeat it. Not a thing. They think it's a good idea because they're into people's health. But they can help you lose the 20 pounds, the 40 pounds, or yes, the 150 pounds. But here's the big difference. They never want to see you come back. I know that's weird. They never want to see you come back, but there are diet places. That's their business model is bringing you back when the fat comes back on your body. So the weight loss doesn't play that game. It's SOTAweightloss.com. They take care of the food, the accountability, the program, the nutritionists, all of that. You never need to leave home. And they're looking at the right metric. It's body fat percentage. That's what they're into. Muscle versus fat. Why? Because you get down to a certain point, a certain fraction. A, a component of that is locking in the weight and they'll put you in a maintenance program so the weight stays off. It's SOTAweightloss.com. SOTAweightloss.com. It stands for state of the art because they are a state of the art. What was your, when you were uh, doing a lot of working out, what was your one rep max pull up? You ever do that? You ever do weighted pull ups? Yeah, I did. I don't, I don't, I don't, we, we never tried with one rep. I mean, I remember I used to, we put on the weight belt and yeah. we hang like a 45 pound weight beneath our legs. Yeah. 
I want to say I can only get like three or four of those at the, at, at, you know, the tops in college when I was playing college ball. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we never did a lot. I always did them as a burnout at the end. Right. So I do like, I do like 18, uh, 16, 14, 12, 10, you know, to just exhaustion. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, cause I always did it. It's kind of like, I always thought of it as, first of all, there's no better back workout. Right. Yeah. Um, and then just a stabilizer, right? Just stabilizing all the different joints and muscles yeah. like that. So I never tried it as a one rep max, though. So you were at 53 pounds? 53 pounds, yeah, 53 pound kettlebell. Um, and I used to be able to do that three times. So I want to get back to that. But I, I was trying to big time my way through a dinner with a guy who was a national college champion in wrestling and was in the Olympic weight, Olympic program, a wrestler. He's the sweetest, nicest, most gentle, discipled guy. And we're at dinner and we got to talk in glory days. And, you know, we brought the Springsteen thing out. And oh, we were nice. just having fun as old men talking. And, and uh, he said, so you still do pull-ups? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, got my kipping pull-ups back. And by the way, how many strict pull-ups do you do, Kevin? He goes, oh, 40. Oh my God. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I go, wait, wait, wait. Do you go all the way down? Do you, now I'm trying to poke holes in it, right? Wait, are you hanging at the bottom? He goes, no, I have about, you know, I'm, I'm older. So I've got about a, a half inch where I'm not fully released. And you do 40. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. How much you bench? How much you bench? Yeah, and this switch yeah. over real quick. I know, I know those guys that they, they just, they, they, they never stop being those guys. Um, there's this other comment here, Zach, um, that, that, just this stuff drives me nuts and i want you to help me if i get this the right way so we had the figurehead come out and say something i want to get to that but this is the lady who runs the eu central bank commission um she's talking about inflation and what she says is going to solve inflation we must not allow inflationary expectations to become de-anchored or wages um, to have an inflationary effect she's saying we need to we need to bring down wages. We need to limit fast wage growth. So her prescription to stop inflation is to make sure people's wages don't grow as quickly. Am I getting it right that actually the reason the wages are glowing is because of inflation or is that just me? <laughs> See, this gets back to what we were talking about with the difference between <clears throat> the academic approach and uh, and the insistence on this th- these these academic metrics that they're using that have been proven over and over to be so outdated. So, for instance, there's a really popular rule that the Fed and every central bank uses. It's something called the Fed, the Taylor Rule, where they're looking at the <clears throat> they're looking at the ties between employment and inflation. Now, on the surface of it, it sort of makes sense, right? Which is, hey, if people's if 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 unemployment rates at a record low, let's call it three percent. And wage growth is climbing at 7%. Uh, that's going to increase demand for goods across pretty much all different categories. Yep. And that's going to force things up. Uh, but if you look at the main drivers of inflation, I think that that's where you shoot a hole um, in these guys' theory. For instance, um, if you look at like the increased costs of microchips, uh, they've already given all of that back, if not the vast majority of it, right? And 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 just because people weren't going to keep buying five new laptops every year like they did during COVID, and right. So, but the, where it gets interesting is they're using this same wage growth equals inflation thing for when when the majority of the inflation that we're seeing is the kind that, from our view. Right. So they're going to they're going to they put on these really high interest rates. And like I've said before, there is no magic relationship between interest rates and inflation. When you jack up interest rates really high, it's just like throwing a giant wet blanket over a over a fire. Right. It's going to put it out and the fire being the economy. So it's a it really is a shotgun approach. The analogy I've used before, it's like a shotgun trying to kill a house fly. Right. You're going <laughs> to. <laughs> you're going to get the house fly. The question is, is what, what kind of damage you're going to do to the, the drywall, right? Yeah. So so um, that is that when they're talking, and look, if people aren't looking behind the, the curtain here. Powell has stood up there and given several speeches where he said, look, guys, there's going to be pain. There's going to be problems. And he used the word pain. You know, it's like everybody's just skipping right past that. The way they're going to deal with inflation is the same way they dealt with deflation, i.e. 2008, 2009. They're going to socialize the loss. 
Right. right? So privatize the profit. Then they bail out the banks. Right. They've done all this stuff, generated new record profits for people, for corporations in this last deal. And the actions they are taking, the central bank is telling you that one of the biggest knock on effects of that is going to be lower wages. So what are we going to do? We're going to we're going to we're going to socialize the cost of inflation. Right. Um, rather than dealing with, you know, there were some supply chain disruptions like shutting down factories that did create temporary inflation that I agreed with Powell at the time that as the economy reopens, these things will work themselves out. But what it didn't address is that when this demand starts and and when you get when you get economies cranking at a higher level um, and you haven't invested in commodities and energy or you look at the housing issues, you know, you've allowed these banks to buy up blocks and cities worth of worth of homes. So you don't really have a house shortage, right? You've got, it's just like every other well. It's like all, you know, all the stock is owned by the top 1%. Now homes are too, right? So yeah, it's, it's it, and that's why, you know, it's like so many other things in life. It's why you know they're not going to come up with the right solution, right? Because Coming up with the right solution to these these types of issues, it's hard enough when you're looking in all the right places. It's impossible when you're not. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, they're talking about wages, and that's what they mean. They're going to knock people's wages down. So that's the solution. And, but it's not the solution. No. Right. And now you have goods that are still more expensive, but people are making less money. Uh, and but to me, it's so fascinating that they they view us as mm-hmm. as things to move around. And I keep watching. I keep watching this comparison pop up. I had this guy in the program. I don't know if you've heard this yet. I know you've been on vacation. I had a guy named John Euleron. And you talk about an unfun job. He was he's a therapist, a counselor and big, you know, has a lot of credentials for 11 years. Zach, he worked in prisons trying to help pedophiles not be pedophiles. And so he had to listen to their confessions and he, they would tell him things that they wouldn't tell the cops because, you know, unless it's a must report, meaning that someone could be at harm or, I mean, there's a lot of rules. Certainly if there's a must report, he would tell the cops. Um, But he said this about, about psychopaths. He said that normal people value, value people and use things. Psychopaths use people and value things. And every one of the technocratic solutions is to do unto us. And it is remarkable that, that they, that I, I, I think that's, well, I've read that psychopaths are overrepresented in CEO groups and um, in like politics. And it all makes sense because it's me, me, me. But man, have we just seen a flock of psychopaths? It's like the flock of seagulls. Have we just seen a flock of psychopaths jump into these roles? Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, and I think it's the incentive structure, right? Meaning, if you're an out and out, it was funny. I, I was talking to a, I don't want to, I don't want to give anybody up, but I had to, uh, I do charity work with a uh, former um, NFL football player. Yeah, there was good buddies and and played with Steve Largent, and we were talking about Steve Largent leaving Congress, and. What he told this guy, so this is secondhand coming from me, and I don't want to speak for Steve or him, Mr. Largent, as he's referred to in my house. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, he deserves a certain amount of respect now. Um, but uh, he said that it, it didn't take him long. The reason he left, and for those of you that don't know, he easily could have gotten reelected multiple times, if not become a senator from Oklahoma. And uh, the reason he left is because he said it didn't take me long to figure out that I'm not going to change this place. It's going to change me. Right. And so on, on the on the political side, I think that there's and maybe a majority is too strong a word. But um, if not majority, darn near to being psychopaths. And then you look on the central banking side. That to me is a mix. It really is. I think that you've got just um, hard line academics that come from the right institutions that kiss the right ring. And then I think you've got legitimate psychopaths and um, you can hear, you know, I think you've, you've, you've hit it perfectly well. You, you can sort of hear the dismissive and systematic way they talk about things. Talk right? about like us. Every, 
Yeah, right. Like, it's just an equation. We've got to lower the wages. Uh, inflation is up. We need to lower the And it's like you're, you're talking about people's jobs. You're talking about human beings. Well, very small human beings. Yeah, right, right. Well, they're just they're just numbers on a dot plot, right? Um, when, in fact, they all know, like, especially if you're Europe, look, there's one reason why you've got the inflation in Europe that you've got, and it's your ridiculous energy policy and your ridiculous materials policy. I mean, that's it, right? So wage increases and the average wage, it, it doesn't address any of this stuff. But they, But that's where the psychopath aspect of it comes in. They know this, right? They have to know this. They know this. They're not idiots. But they, but again, the people are not as important as their climate agenda, right? So uh, we're going to find everybody to blame. And it's always funny. Like I said, you, you wait long enough and maybe not implicitly they blame the little guy, yeah. but inevitably falls on our shoulders, right? We're the ones that have to suffer wage losses, yeah. not guys like Larry Fink and, you know, people like this, um, you know, so with, again, the old games afoot, which is. We so we 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 privatize profits and we socialize losses. Yeah, it's a, it's a the man that's a strong grift if you can get into it. That's a big replicable grift. Um, yes. I have I have a, a metaphor to sell. This is not my sports thing. I think it's because I sent you that speed skating video. The dude working his legs, Joy Mantia, incredible human being, by the way, incredibly nice man. Uh, I'll have to describe that now and pay that off. But um, I have a sports metaphor to, to apply to what you were saying. It's about people who practice uh, martial arts for the way it looks versus people who practice it for fighting. It's kind of a no. funny story. It's kind of a funny story. You saw me rip this open, right, when we started talking? Yeah, I was wondering what you're doing. Little pack. Um, so that's, you know what? All I did at that point when I ripped that open, that's healthy cell. That's how quick I took my vitamins. I did it wow. that quick. Um, and these are 165% more absorbable. Literally, all I did when Zach was coming on, in fact, this is a good thing. I'd forgotten to take my, my, um, my bioactive multi uh, essential vitamins, minerals, antioxidants uh, in a pill-free form, more absorbable. This is the, um, I've been telling you about the microgel technology. This is the pack that you can hear how light it is. And all I did is I ripped it open and rudely in front of Zach, I just went and I swallowed it. Now, see, you can take this stuff on the road anywhere. Here I said, I forgot to take these. I didn't have to do the bird thing when I'm talking to Zach going, trying to swallow the capsules and none of that. That stuff is 1930s technology, those capsules. Microgel is a new technology that it, it is 165% more absorbable. Plus, you know what's not in here in this pack? There's no filler. There's no glue. There's no coloring. Uh, there's no uh, there's no filling agents. It's literally vitamins and some um, some citrus. And it tastes good. Now, all of this means that the vitamins on your shelf, if they're in pill or capsule form, just go up and picture that as fine sand your body can't absorb because it's 10 to 110% too big for your body to absorb for real. This stuff, on the other hand, uh, is instantly absorbable. It's not just vitamins. There's a REM sleep product. This stuff helps me sleep smoothly. And when I do wake up, if I have to go to the bathroom, it doesn't prevent me from going back to sleep. I don't get that jolt. You know, when I take melatonin, I, I pass out for a good four hours, but then I wake up and I'm ready to write 16 novels and then yeah. I don't write the novels. You know what I'm saying? The same thing with yeah. you and melatonin. Yeah. So, so the yeah. sleep product doesn't do that. And the focus and recall product has replaced my beloved afternoon coffee because as jazzed as I am talking to Zach, it, um, it actually does not keep me awake. So it's healthy cell. And Zach can attest to the fact that, no, you're writing it down. HealthyCell.com slash Todd. You go to HealthyCell.com slash Todd. You get 20% off your first order. Okay, HealthyCell.com slash Todd. Get 20% off your order. we got to use my name, Todd, as the promo code. HealthyCell.com slash Todd. Use Todd as the promo code. I would buy all three of them. But the vitamins, that's a serious no-brainer. Because, brother, you and I get into free flow because we were friends. I did not. I should have brought this video for you to see. But there's this guy who did this side-by-side study of people who go practice martial arts for the way it looks. And, and look, you can get in great shape because you're doing yeah. high kicks and, you know, um, you're metabolically juiced. And, you know, there's some stability and, and a lot of power moves. And you're getting, you know, core stability, core strength. Uh, and they put them. And, and these guys will do videos. Like they'll put up these insane videos. Oh, look at my spin kick and look at this. And they'll put them up and they're gorgeous. It's like Instagram stuff. And so this, they constructed an experiment and had them go fight people who actually fight. 
<laughs> and it's this, no, it's the craziest thing. It's within like 19 seconds. There's a guy going, ah! Ah! no, I'm serious. And he's screaming. He's screaming like, uh, like silence of the lambs. And the, the fighter lets him up. Like we're 17 seconds into this. You didn't say, he goes all I did. And this is how I take it with the academics, right? This is like, this is when Michael Bloomberg says, look, being a farmer is easy. You, you, you know, dig a hole in the ground with your hand, drop a seed in it, spit it and cover it and you grow a farm. And I, he is the guy I want to pick Michael Bloomberg up. And I want to, now I'm, I'm saying this is a joke. I don't intend to kidnap Michael Bloomberg. I don't, I don't want anybody to kidnap Michael Bloomberg. I just think it would be funny if you kidnap Michael Bloomberg and set him down in the middle of Kansas and said, um, okay, here's the choice. No one's going to come and get you. You can walk or you can grow food. So here's a seed. <laughs> go at it mike bloomberg and the academics like but the academics never come back and go wow that didn't work in the field that, the- well, well funny funny your bloomberg analogy because this goes along perfect with kind of what we're talking about here do you know how like everybody has a bloomberg terminal for for, for your listeners that don't know <clears throat> you got to pay twenty five thousand a year and we do not have one uh, but pretty much every investment firm does, yeah. which $25,000 a year is the script subscription for each terminal. And I mean, they are really unbelievable in the sense that any kind of data you want to look at, any charts you want to overlay from, you know, 60 years ago to today. I mean, if it is financial data, it's in their database. But the way he built that business is he struck up a special deal with the U.S. Treasury where they would give him bond, uh, they would give him, I want to say, 30 to 30 second to 60 second lead times on the pricing of their bond auctions. So if you were a bond trader, you had to subscribe to Bloomberg stuff or you were at a material disadvantage. And that is how he built Bloomberg. Uh, uh, you know, just uh, made wait, in America. Wait, wait, wait. How did he achieve a special deal with the feds? I've got to go. I, I so you know what? I'm going to go do some homework on that, yeah. and I'll report back to you. I know, I know the broad strokes of the story. Yeah, I haven't gotten into it. My understanding was is he had some good friends, and, and you know, I mean, you know, I mean, no matter what the report is, you and I both know exactly how he did that. Well, yeah. right? He, he went to school with the right guys, shook the right hands, and and uh, but yeah, that was all. I mean, because if you and it makes you know, it, it all happened. I, I want to say he had that deal right up until. Jeez, mid nineties or something like that, and by that time he kind of inculcated himself into the entire system, and everybody had to have his stuff anyway. But yeah, even that's a classic Griff story. Yeah, our the radio station where I started my talk radio career had a Bloomberg terminal. Uh, it was a business radio station, which is weird since they put on a wild, insane conservative talk show. Um, but yeah, I got to take my news off that Bloomberg terminal. It was the first thing I'd ever really seen, like the internet, uh, and it, even for news because he had AP feeds and stuff on there and researching. Uh, things like federal databases for gun crimes. It was an insanely helpful system. I had, um, when I got to DC and I don't want to tell this, uh, you know, too much in detail because I've told it before. I don't want to bore people, but um, I outed the lady as a complete, a complete con artist. Uh, in terms of what she was doing at the Republican National Committee. And I mean, it was just such con artistry. And to try to save her deal, she sent uh, she set up a lunch with me and all the social media directors for like Department of Homeland Security. And I, one I know was there was the SEC. She sat me right next to the SEC director of social media. And so we're eating lunch at this, you know, $1,500 lunch place, you know, all of us eating 1500 2000 bucks wine, all sorts of garbage. And I sit down, A, I don't drink wine. B, I hate fancy food. Can I just have a sandwich? And seriously, when, when the waiter came by, I said, do you know what I'd like is a turkey sandwich with some lettuce. And could you set me up with like a, just a, a simple salad? Uh, Sure, sir. It's one of those places where you order that and like 15 minutes later, you see one of the chefs stick his head out the window. Is that the trash? Is that, that's the trash. He doesn't want my food. And, um, and I don't know if I was quite that bad, but I've done that before. But I'm sitting next to the guy who's the SEC guy. And, and, and I, I look at him. I go, so is that a Pontac Philippe watch? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a new one. And uh, he wants to show it to me. And it's got all these dials and heft and hair. Feel it. And, you know, I. 
Yeah, from the SEC, and and I'm looking at the suits, and I'm just sitting there, man. I'm in Grift City, and oh. and, and I, I'm not blind. I get it. I I I have restructured my life so I don't have to wear suits like that anymore. I'm looking over, going, yeah, that's a thousand dollar suit, brothers wearing over here. And we get done with the lunch, and um, and she says, I'm glad you could meet my friends. You know, they're really good people. Washington D.C. gets a bad rap. Listen, I'm going to need someone to run my company. Um, and I know everyone moves to DC and they say that they're going to go home, but no one ever does. I'm going to need someone to run my companies and it's like a million a year to start. And I said, well, all I would need to do then is plug you back into the committee, right? Is that all I'd need to do? That's, that's what I'd need to do, huh? All I'd need to get that. Oh, I never said that. Oh no. Oh, I see. So that job offer would still exist if I still didn't give you the job. Oh, this is unconnected. No, no, no. I just wanted you to meet these people. No, I would never. And so like Steve Largent, um, I was, I, I was aware this town would change me, which is why I put in a bunch of trap doors that I couldn't stay there. You know, by the way, you mentioned mm-hmm. Steve Largent. Do you remember? Cause he had the reputation as a nice guy. And, um, and yet he, um, um, he went and sideswiped that guy. Cause someone did a nasty hit on a Seahawks player. You haven't seen this. Oh yeah. And, oh, yeah. oh, Largen, Largen comes out and he's aching for blood. Well, cause the guy earlier in the season, it was the free safety for the Denver Broncos. And earlier in the season, he came across, if he, if you hit somebody like he hit him on that shot, uh, that guy would have been suspended probably for six weeks, Yeah, but he hit him, broke his jaw. Uh, or was it his nose? Anyway, because he hit him and then stuck his forearm up underneath his face mask. Oh. Just a terribly cheap shot. So later that year, when they played Denver again, uh, uh, Largent was back on the field. He was healthy. That same guy, Mike something, I think he was number 27 for, for Denver, if I remember correctly. He intercepts a pass. Largent comes running from the other side of the field and just destroys yeah. the guy, right. made him fumble the ball, and while he's laying on the ground, then Largent recovered the fo- the football. And uh, <laughs> a couple a couple of my buddies that played with the Seahawks at the time, I was like, "What was that like to watch?" And they were like, "We knew he was going to do it." They were like, "We just that's how crazy Steve was that like if he got his mindset to something." He was going to make this guy pay, but yeah, that incredible play. If you can't tell, I get excited about this stuff. Yeah. It's, you know, when you do stuff like that, it's hard not to have the muscle memory and like even mental muscle memory and get excited. That was the thing when Kevin and I were sitting there talking, you know, we're both kind of shifted in our seats and we're talking uh, sports and, and glory days. I don't always talk glory days. In fact, I try not to talk glory days. Here's a headline from the, from the New York times and I'm going to let it hang. Cause I want the, uh, the podcast family to guess who it's about. Um, and I'll just give you, I'll, I'll read it this way and then we'll, we'll work through it with Zach Abraham. She wanted to make a difference. Now she's facing prison. So let's, let's do a contrast and compare game. I'll tell you who that is about in a second as we continue to talk with Zach Abraham, Bulwark Capital Management, knowyourriskradio.com is where you can track Zach down. And now see if I say anything else, then I've got to read that disclaimer and I'm not going to do that. So knowyourriskradio.com. So I um, do a thing where I go now to parties and I walk in and I tell people I've got the Giza dream sheets and this is, this is good fun at parties. And I like this, like, you know, you're at a holiday party, people call them, I call them Christmas parties. And so uh, and people say, cause you know, you're around strangers and stuff. So what do you do for a living? And I never say I'm a podcaster because it's, it opens up a can of worms. So I say things like, Oh, um, I speak and, you know, go around and speak and do things like that. And all oh, that's fun. And, and, um, anything, you know, Hey, what'd you get for Christmas? Well, let me tell you something and don't tell other people. Really? Yeah. Let me take you to the side here. Um, I got the Giza dream sheets and if they're not in the know, they're like, what Giza dream sheets? Uh, you married? Let me, let me tell you something about marriage. Get the Giza dream sheets and your wife will love you forever. These are twenty nine ninety eight right now. It's starting as low as twenty nine ninety eight. Now, dude, listen. No, no, no. Listen, listen. Shh, shh, they're coming. Uh, and pretend we're talking about sports. Anyway, so Steve Largent. <laughs> then, I, then I go back to the Giza dream sheets and I'll tell them about the fact that the cotton that the source for this, my pillow source is from the Mediterranean and a very small area of the Mediterranean. And then they use this weave that's called a sateen weave. And then I'll use my fingers and I'll show the brother the sateen weave. And at this point, he's really leaning in. And sometimes he's like, but, but how do I get them? 
I said, well, well, let me just tell you this. They come with a 10-year warranty, these sheets, and that sateen weave makes them so soft. So what you do is you buy them, you wash them because wives are weird. They like things washed, even though they're just from the factory. I like the factory smell. I like to sleep on fresh out of the factory sheets, but my wife, she's weird because people have touched them, so she wants them washed. So here's what you can do. Go to MyPillow.com, use promo code Todd. You get huge discounts on all my pillow bedding products, including blankets, pillows, comforters. And you can get these Giza Dream Sheets, bed sheets for as low as $29.98. And at this point, a lot of times guys want to follow me out of the party. And what else you got for me? It's like an insider trading thing you do with the thing. And don't yeah. tell anybody. Next thing you know, I'm walking out. It goes, no, no, they're called the Giza Dream Sheets. Oh, my gosh. You gave my thing away. Oh, did I tell you this? I don't know how to feel about this. Um, a friend of mine, I have gone to the same convenience store dash bait shop for three years, which is just down the mountain from us. And, and I like the people there. I visit with them. I know about their grandkids. They're sweet, sweet, lovely, lovely, nice people. They work there long term. It's a family place, you know. And a friend of mine, I know he meant well. He's a dear man. He's a good friend. He's a client of yours. Dear, okay. dear man, client of mine. You know who I'm talking about now because uh, he lives up in the mountain with us. The shooter. And, yep, yep, the shooter. And the yep. shooter outed me to the crew there. Oh. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. And so the shooter out, and, and the shooter outed me on the week I was filling in for Clay and Buck. And so one of the ladies said, will you give us a shout out on Clay and Buck's radio show? And I found a way to work it into the show. Uh, and, and they were so, so happy about that. They're, oh, they were jacked. I'm sure. Did they listen to your show already? Uh, yeah. And they didn't know who I was. Oh, I'm, I'm walking in there the whole time. And I can't believe you didn't tell us. That's right. When I come in and purchase gas, I don't walk in and go, hey, by the way, do you know who I am? I mean, kind of a big deal. Yeah, I don't know if you know who I am while you're serving me gas, but uh, let's have the gas extra gassy. All right, so the, the headline that I read, um, it reads this way. Carolyn Ellison wanted to make a difference. Now she's facing prison. Uh, the What's it say here? Because I'm getting old. A close colleague of crypto king Sam Bankman-Fried, Ellison is now pleading guilty, saying um, she knew what they did was wrong and was, was illegal. It doesn't say wrong. Was illegal. Um, if you read this piece, they are doing everything they can to resuscitate her uh, and still him. And they're still trying to go with the household haired kid made himself just a series of mistakes, just got in over his head a little bit. They are selling this on the hard sell, man. I, I, um, I, I don't know what to make. I, I knew exactly what story you were talking about when you referenced it, just because yeah. I read this story and just, it, it is the most odd thing, especially if you live through the Bernie Madoff deal, because the way that they sugarcoat this is just unbelievable. And, and, and I don't know if it's from a lack of understanding or a message. I mean, then you listen to, wasn't it Amy Roback, the one that was caught on the, on the cold mic saying we had all this on, on Epstein three years ago and they wouldn't let us ride. Like, it's really hard not to think of that because you're sitting there going, look, you know, you're looking at just from, from a 30,000 foot view. And it was like, when this whole thing started, you're going, Oh yeah, well, I, I know what happened there. That's a misappropriation of client funds at the very least. Looks like there could be some money laundering. And uh, this looks pretty simple. Uh, then you listen to the media rendition. You're sitting there going, what, what are you talking about? And it, and it, you know, again, we, it, it you know, they call us all, or they call you a conspiracy theorist. You're going, look, man, I'm just going off of what I heard from Amy Robach on that, on that cold mic when she, or she thought it was a cold mic. Um, and I, yeah, I, it's hot, really remarkable. Hot mic, by the way. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, not, that's right. Not hot mic, yeah. yeah. Hot um, mic. Cold mic. She'd be okay. Um, but, but that goes, that goes to, but that goes, I don't know if you've seen the re- recent trade results that came out of Washington, D.C., so elected politicians, on average, I know. in 20, 2021, beat the market by 2%. I know. I brought this up the other week. Yeah, I brought this up. And you know who's top on that list? Is, there are a lot of Republicans who are top on that list. And yep. their timing, man, their timing is impeccable. 
they seem to buy the time these trades just before big deals go through on chips and and tech and stuff like this. It's remarkable timing, isn't it? They're just very skilled investors. It's like Hillary Clinton back in the day with the cattle futures, where she had a thirty five hundred percent profit a couple of weeks into a deal. I mean, it's just you know what they're savants. And they're some of the best traders I've ever seen. And I will tell you, <laughs> you know, I'll be straight up honest. The S and P was down. I I, want, I think it was finished the year down twenty two. The fund I run was down 10 and a half and it was our, it was my first losing year. Um, I've had some big years of underperformance, but it, it was one of my toughest years. And the I, I laughed when I saw that report because I sat there and I went, we came into the year with our two biggest positions, short tech and long energy. And I still finished the year down 10%. And I'm sitting there looking at these people going, this is an absolute joke. There, there's no way they average a 20 percent outperformance of the S&P 500, not in a year like last year, uh, where it was just a food fight all year long. Well, here's, um, here's what we know. We know that governments, um, uh, shadow bans people, that they've, they've done what is expressly illegal. It is illegal for them to have private companies censor us in ways that the government can't. The participants in that admitted and bragged about, well, the government didn't have the legal authority to do this, so we did it. Uh, we closed that gap. They admitted that. We know that. Um, so they are going after the First Amendment of the United States Constitution, um, our, our freedom of speech. And it was on broad scale. It's not just Twitter. It's not just the FBI. It's the CDC. It's the FDA. It's the DHS. They're all in there. And that's just our government. And that's and what we know is from Twitter. But we you, you, obviously it's happening at Facebook and other places, too. I mean, how could you not be of my opinion on that? So, Zach, here's the thing. Um, across the board... Um, everything that you would expect from a human institution filled with psychopaths or filled with people who long ago got whispered in the ear by Satan and Satan said, surely you won't die. Yeah. And, and this is the thing I, I try, I struggle so hard to get across to people is Satan does not appear in a, in a ball often or his demons more, more likely, you know, with a blowing up of sulfur and, and flames and kiss music, or I guess Motley Crue or whatever. Um, he doesn't do that or come up with with the golden fiddle and lay it at your feet, right? He by, by degrees. And you know, I don't mean to try to determine what Dan Crenshaw's soul's like, but I'm, I'm kind of angry at him today. So Dan Crenshaw, somewhere along the line, someone said, look, Dan, really what you're doing is taking care of your family. You don't know how long you're going to be in Congress, right? Really what you're doing is you're taking care of your family. And they, that Satan speaks into people that way. If you look at Washington, D.C., you're going to tell me that they don't control the New York Times, that they don't have sway. I know they do because they've admitted it piece by you know piecemeal. The, the the New York Times admitted that they let Barack Obama's team edit their articles about Barack Obama before they ran. We know that right. So when I look at the New York Times in this piece about Carolyn Ellison, um, New York Times probably has a big placement in a central bank digital currency. They probably are mobbed up and they're thinking, well, wait a minute, if this thing is shown to be an utter fraud then this is going to kill the movement to a central bank digital currency, right? So you're talking about a fallen city, Babylon, fallen people who either are psychopaths or they've been told that they are their own gods. And, and the Lord has warned us about this. And I, God's too big to go. I told you so, but he told us so. Yeah. And it, and, and like you said, it doesn't happen with, the big ball of sulfur, it happens with a million dollar salary offer. You know what I mean? Right. It happens with, you know, they, to the point where, you, hey, I, I, I don't do this. I'm just a small cog in the, you know, the machine. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it is, it's so wide. I mean, you talked about the Hillary Clinton trading. Uh, what was the name of that deal? Was it, was that the, the Whitewater deal was the real, or was the real estate deal? That was the guy but, who yeah, ended up uh, suicide and getting suicided. Yeah, yeah, it's un- it's weird how that happens right. around them. <laughs> right, well, right, right, right. <laughs> Those people's friends have bad luck, man. I know. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's. I mean, it's just grip central, and if and and the more you know, like I was sitting there going down that list of politicians, looking at all the outperformance in the market, knowing how tough last year was, how tough it was for some of the best money managers out there. Um, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous on the face of it. And you could not get that much outperformance. It's such a statistical outlier. 
um, that it's 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 just total grift and total fraud. And, and then I wonder, then I wonder how much of that information they're passing on or potentially selling right to other money managers in the know. Right. Like, I mean, I mean, do you think it just ends there or do you think they figure out in pretty short order? Hey, so and so that contributed to my campaign, he might contribute more if I fed him this nugget about Pfizer that's about to get released on Tuesday. You know what I mean? Like it, it, what we're seeing, in my opinion, is just the tip of the iceberg. It, 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 there's several more layers of fraud behind it. Well, that's why I went on what might have sounded like a distraction to talk about um, the Twitter files. Look at what we know. They're willing to um, illegally, unconstitutionally attack the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. You think they have a problem taking insider trading tips? And they don't even need the insider trading tips. The phone call is them or someone from their staff, because they would do the plausible deniability. Oh, no, the congressman was unaware. And it's it's someone from their staff putting a call into the trader going, okay, the microchip bill is a go in 11 minutes. 11 minutes. It's going to go to the press. Or they'll send them a note. I mean, it would be like Wall Street. Blue horseshoe loves Endicott Steel. Blue horseshoe loves Endicott Steel. And by the way, if you think that stuff doesn't happen, I'm here to tell you that I worked on a... I worked on a black ops PR campaign. It was um, it was a Google bowling, Google bombing, Wikipedia reputation management campaign that I personally handled when I worked at um, our company, a big data company, Crowdverb. We had some reputation management stuff we did, but it cost a ton of money uh, because it was very people intensive. So to have me do this, I was on a $15,000 a month retainer for about six hours of work a month. And wow. I know, I know. And I'm not trying to brag. I'm what, well, maybe that sounds braggy because that's a heck of a lot of money. Um, but it was because if we got found doing it right, it could really harm us. So it's gotcha. a risk reward ratio thing. And the only, I met the principal, this was for a famous media personality. Um, and I met the principal who, who, who ran the project twice, once in a restaurant in New York where we sat at different tables and had conversations not looking at each other. And another time at another restaurant where we sat in the same thing, but like six months apart, we never used each other's actual email address. And if I needed to give him a copy of something, um, we used this site that, that it was just completely untraceable. Um, I bought a brand new computer that had never been used, took it out of the store, never put it on a corporate Wi-Fi, always used it in coffee shops next to colleges, and it made it the profile look like a college student. The reason we did that was this guy knew that the FBI was trying to take his boss down. He knew they were trapping, tapping the phones. That's, and this wow. guy was a media, not a, he wasn't a personality, he was a media executive. Okay, and and to do that to a media executive, because there are hard truths coming out of that media organization they don't want. You don't think that they'll put a phone call into a trader saying or or, or tank me some Tesla. This guy, this we were talking about this earlier that Tesla stocks down. You were saying the whole market's down, and and but how easy would it be for someone like a Tom Steyer to put out a hit on Elon Musk or someone, um, you know, pension funds to put out a hit on Tesla and just say, hey, dump Tesla? Yeah, no, and, and like I was saying to you, I, I don't think <clears throat> I, I'm sure that that plays a part in it when you just see how much the wins. And if you pay attention to the story in Musk for a long enough time. He's been, the, you know, like he even put out, you know, 12 months ago, he was Times Person of the Year, right? Right. And then now you look at how quickly they've turned on him. Um, I, <clears throat> he personally makes me nervous just because I don't trust him, Musk at all. I, do, I think he's a mastermind at playing public opinion and all these other kind of things. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I don't, I don't think there's any question about that. And I, the way you can see it too is, Look at the look at the amount of negative ad stories that are coming out about Tesla right now, as opposed to like 24 months ago. Oh, yeah. They hit one out. Oh, yeah. It's 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 probably like 10 to one. Right. What it, what it used to be. Right. We had Chris Brown. I got to get him back. He's such a brilliant writer. Unbelievably brilliant mind. I'm going to try to get him back on next week. And Chris Bray wrote an article about that. Um, hey, it's time for the two minutes. Hey, and I think he called it target acquired. And within two minutes, they can turn public opinion when you're talking about the, you know, the, uh, the, the left. They're so good at that. And he used a case in point where Stephen Colbert came out and he was opening his monologue and he said, um, the FBI director has been fired. 
Robert Mueller's been fired and the crowd applauds like they love it. And he goes, oh, wow, a lot of fans of Donald Trump here tonight. Didn't know that. And then within two minutes, he had the crowd booing Robert Mueller being fired. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's like yeah. The Simpsons. There's an episode where the mayor is saying, we need to destroy the snakes. The snakes are taking over our town. And we need to. And Lisa says, the snakes are our friends. And she has that school presentation. All of a sudden, the crowd's going, snakes, snakes, snakes. And the mayor's going, I, I, I agree. The snakes are our friends. And, and the, the, they, the, they just acquire these targets. And the, Elon Musk is now, he, he's a literal Nazi. Last night, he was saving the planet with electric cars. He buys Twitter. He's a literal Nazi. It's crazy. I know it is. No, and even even a guy that even a guy like me who's been very critical of Musk over yeah. the years has watched this whole Twitter thing where I'm sitting there going, hold on a second. So a guy is releasing unredacted documents that aren't being refuted, by the way, right? Right. Unredacted official communications with government agencies and people have a problem with that. And and moreover, it's liberals that have a problem with that. Right. I mean, it used to be like when I was growing up, right? Liberals were all free everything. Let the information be free. You know what I mean? And you're sitting there going now you're, you hate him because he's not, he didn't, he didn't have to get subpoenaed for this. Yeah. Right. Just on one volition, he's releasing unredacted documents and you're mad at him. It's just crazy. Well, and he, um, you know, he he also, when he released his stuff, the FBI, think of this. They got their best and brightest PR people in the room. And a Pry1 meeting uh, invitation goes out, as we used to call Microsoft, uh, S+, plus, Pry1, S+. Plus. Everyone has to, you know, get into the meeting. And they do a note. They do a, um, a paper-only meeting, no devices, right? So we're just going to talk about this. And they sit down in some secure war room. All right. So Musk has released his documents uh, and he's, you know, what he's got, he says, the kids say that he's got the receipts, he's got our emails, etc. Um, we need to get on some good thoughts and what we're going to respond to this. I'm going to go to the whiteboard. No bad ideas. We're just brainstorming here. No bad ideas. Uh, yeah, in the back, Harold. Uh, I, I think we should call him a, a conspiracy theorist. Brilliant! And they put out a release saying it's unfortunate the conspiracy theorists are looking to, you know, discredit the FBI. They're your emails. This They're isn't right. a, that's there's this you were the conspirators. And but that was the best and the brightest response. Or they're going like this, who cares? Just say well, conspiracy did, theory and move on. Did you hear the figurehead talking today about getting addressed about the, the poor that poor NFL player that had collapsed, that cardiac arrest on the field? It's football's dangerous. Yes. And I'm watching I'm watching that hit a hundred times going, guys, I got kids in my second grade team that have been hit harder than that. That ain't that ain't a football as dangerous. This is an athlete at 25 years old, 26 years old, in condition that few of us have ever seen, let alone been in it ourselves. And all of a sudden he like you're sitting there going, come on. Right. This is a, this is a football is dangerous story. Right. And and I'm the conspiracy theorist. Right. And immediately um, the minute that he collapsed, there were doctors, so-called doctors on Twitter saying this is not the vaccines. And uh, they're, 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 they're not vaccines. First of all, the mRNA injections. This is not the vaccines. And then they right. came out and said it's uh, commotio corditis. Commodio corditis, which is where your heart is a directly hit with a blunt object. And goes into arrhythmia. Want to know how many cases of death there have been in those? Uh, in, like in the past several years, twelve. It wasn't the hit, though. If you look at the hit, that I know. Wasn't, I know. It, 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 he wrapped him. It was a yeah. rap tackle. It was a. It was a a textbook wrap and drop. It wasn't a collision. I know. I. It, it wasn't a direct hit to the heart. But let's say it was. If you had a hundred and fifty or a hundred and ten mile an hour, saw, you know, hardball strike you in the heart, and you're like a a fourteen year old kid with not no not much muscle mass to protect you. Okay, it strikes your heart. It screws up the rhythm, and it puts it in arrhythmia. Do you stand up? No, you're on the, you're on the ground going, Oh, I can't breathe. And, right, and, and, right. and pray, you know, pray God helps you, right. That you, you recover. He stands up and is walking about. Then there's this and I, man, I'm going to screw these numbers up. So I want to be careful. One well, time. Remember, remember his pads are covering his heart. Oh, too. I know. I know. And, and then there's this, uh, Peter McCullough has tracked this down. Um, in the past 38 years in elite athletes, there's been about 1,600 deaths 
uh, from cardiac arrest. Okay. In, in, in a sporting, you know, a sporting environment, 1600. And I'm not sure if that's during the event or not, but with elite athletes. Since the injections, there's about 1150. Since the mRNA injections, there's about 1150. And so we, hey, look, we've all been watching sports events a lot. Like, how, do you recall athletes dropping dead or with cardiac arrest right in the middle of athletic events? No, I remember I mean, when Dooku Kim got taken out by Ray Mancini, and that was and yeah. it was legitimately and for good reason, good news. And God bless Ray Mancini for saying it made him sick to watch it, and that he had, was haunted by nightmares about it. But no, I've seen the videos, and, and the, the one that says "sponsored by Pfizer," brought to you by Pfizer, and you see a six foot four inch in the shape of his life professional basketball player walking on the court and he flops dead or, you know, at least has a heart attack. And this is, this is not, not just hive mind, but um, man, are these people blind? And I, uh, Zach, I pray that I, I see it here. I am getting hopped up and angry and here's, here's the enemy sitting over with me. Hate them. Yeah. I hate those people. And I'm sitting there going, no, no, I'm going to remember that they're spiritual captives um, at best if they're not participatory. I know. I know, man. All right. And if we, hate, if we hate, we become exactly like them. Right. And then the enemy loves it because it doesn't have to be a, quote, major sin. All he wants to, hey, if I can just get you to hate your neighbor, then I'm separating you from God. And we'll work on the gambling and the methamphetamines and the stealing later. But we'll start with the hating of the neighbor. Brother, yeah. always great to talk with you. And um, hey. we'll connect next week, right? Hey, sounds good, man. Right. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, uh, that's Zach Abraham, knowyourriskradio.com, Bulwark Capital Management. And this, this, go back to my smoking voice. We ta- started the show talking about smoking. Hold on. This is the Todd Herman Show. <laughs> Listen every day on podcast. All right, this is the Todd Herman Show. Please go be well, be strong, be kind, and remember that Satan isn't going to appear or his demons with a puff of sulfur looking like looking like a movie version. <laughs>